Merci. Right, well, we're going to turn to the passage that was given me, um, which is Ephesians chapter 4, um, beginning at verse 7. Ephesians 4 and verse 7. If you've got a Bible near you, it might be worthwhile just looking it up. And in many ways, uh, I feel we've been singing all about Ephesians 4. We have a, I, I, I don't know who chose the songs today, but obviously, <laughs> they're not admitting it. Fantastic, though. It is just shot through with the truths that we're going to look at here in Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 7. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Lord, we just pray you'll open this word to us now. Amen. Some of you will remember back to the 1980s when I think there was a wallpaper ad Uh, advert on television and there was a little jingle that went along with it. I'm now going to attempt to sing this. You'll see why I don't lead worship from the front in a few moments. It used to go, what goes up must come down. Super fresco goes up easy. It's by Gordon and Brown. Now, if you remember that, you're old. You do? Oh, yeah. (laughs) Could you drum to it? You know? Anyone else remember that? Yeah, a few, yeah, yeah. You could tell from my singing, this is feeling, making me feel really good. It's, you know, but, uh, but I always thought at the time, what a strange strap line for wallpaper. What goes up must come down. That's not really what you think when you're putting up wallpaper. You think, I'm never putting this up again. This is the last time I'm doing this. But very strange. But as a strap line for Ephesians 4, beginning of verse 7, it's not bad because it's all about going up and coming down. It starts in verse 8 about when Christ went up, ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. 
So this Paul is playing and speaking to the church in Ephesus about Christ's ascension and also him coming down. And actually Phil's already quoted from Philippians where Paul talks about God, uh, Jesus, leaving all the glory of heaven to come to earth, to be born as a man and to get involved in our humanity, to die upon the cross, even death on the cross, obedience to death on the cross, and then was raised to the highest place and uh, every knee shall bow. Why on earth did God leave all the glory of heaven to come down to earth to then be ascended back up again? Where I live, we have a, a small garden. At the bottom, we have uh, some trees and we have a wooden fence. On the back of that is an old railway line. And it's lovely, it's a lovely aspect, you know, uh, it's not bad at all. Except just in the last week or so, mysterious fires seem to be uh, blazing. And certainly about a week or two ago, um, one burnt my fence and it was, it was quite dramatic. It was so dramatic that Linda, my wife, who's here, immediately rushed out to bring her washing in. I rang the fire service, uh, but you, you see the priorities uh, there, but anyway. So I had to ring the fire service, and the fire service turned up, great from the whole of the street, we're enjoying this, and the fireman, for some unknown reason, I opened the gate, but they decided to jump over the fence. Far more dramatic. Jumped over the fence, I see the guy, I, think, I haven't seen you for ages, John. We used to play football together, so we're having a chat, thinking the fire's going up, so I think better put it out. So we went and put the, well, they put the fire out. I tried with my hose pipe, not done much good, but they got their... Fantastic, and out it went. Quite a lot of damage, but at least no one hurt. About a week or so later, our next door neighbours, amazingly, mysteriously, their fence went to light. What did we do? Bring the fire, rang the fire service, exactly the same guys turned up again. Hello again! And off we went and put it out. Well, that's all very well. But actually, it's not dealing with it, because... Oh, you know, we are expecting another fire at any point, because they don't just mysteriously happen, obviously. We've got some sort of arsonist going, uh, setting a light to things. A day or two ago, I think it was Thursday, my other next-door neighbour the other way is in his garden. He hears some voices. He looks through the fence and sees some kids there. So he, he's very young, and uh, he ran round onto the railway track, leaping over. He got there just as the, one of the lads was a little lighter. bit suspicious. They claimed they weren't doing anything, but he had to have a little lighter in his hand. So he took photos of them on his, uh, on his phone and, to, and escorted them away, giving them a little talk about the danger of fire on the way. He then, of course, shows the photos to me when I get home. And, of course, I recognise both boys <laughs> and wonder why my fence has been attacked, but uh, I don't think it was specific to me. So let's just say we started to get to the root of the problem. The fire service put out the fire well, but they didn't get to the root of the problem. The root of the problem, they're just going to keep on going. I hopefully, in a very tactful way, which I won't tell you about, have stopped these boys setting fire to our fences as they go along. Why do I mention this? God sent the prophets and the law in the Old Testament, and that was like the fire service. They put out the problem of sin, of Satan, and they did wonderful things, but they didn't get to the root cause. When God sent Jesus, he went to the root cause. He came down to earth. Is that my microphone? Is that better? He went right down to the root of the problem. And he took on Satan. He took on the powers of evil. He takes them on on the cross. He comes down from the glory of heaven. There was no problem of sin in heaven. He had to come down into humanity. He took on the power of evil face to face. And we know... 
that he won. He was raised to life and then he ascended and he went back to heaven as the victor. That's why you see in verse 8, he talks about uh, he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. When he got up there, he sent the spoils of victory back down to earth because he is victorious. So he's ascended into heaven. What were these gifts that he gave out of his grace that you see in verse 7 and 8? What are these gifts that he gave when he got back to heaven, he ascended back to heaven? They were the spoils of victory. He sends down. Well, we know what it is. What's the next thing after resurrection, ascension? We know in the salvation story, it's Pentecost. That's the next big moment. So we know that he sent the gift of the Holy Spirit uh, down. Now, this is a fantastic gift. When Jesus was baptized... The Holy Spirit descended on him like a dove. The voice of the Father spoke. The whole Trinity was focused in on Jesus. And what did St. Paul say? When Jesus was raised from death, the power that raised Christ from death was the same power that is at work in us. One of the most amazing verses, I think, in the whole of the Bible. The same power that raised Christ from death is the same power that is at work in us. And he sends that Holy Spirit. What an amazing day on the day of Pentecost. Up to that point, there was just one person in Christ who had had the Spirit of Christ in that special, unique way. But suddenly, on the day of Pentecost, now it was after the replaced Judas, wasn't it? So there was 12 who received the power of the Spirit. It's multiplied by a factor of something, 12 times anyway. And then, why at the end of the day, how many? Was it 3,000 by the end of the day? Can we see the multiplying effect of Jesus goes, the one person goes, he gives these gifts to the Holy Spirit, and suddenly the Spirit of Christ is spreading. If you were walking along, I'm sure you wouldn't do it, but if you saw an ant on the floor and you thought, I don't like ants, they bite you or whatever, so you stamped on that ant, but actually you found afterwards that it was actually coming out of an ant's nest, and as you stamped on it, you disturbed the ant's nest and you were covered with ants. At that point, it would serve you right for being cruel to ants. But the idea would be, it's almost like what happened. Satan, through his human agents, takes on Christ, defeats the Messiah. He's dead and gone. And then finds out, oh, oh, the Spirit of Christ has been sent to lots of people. It's multiplying. Not one person, not one person with the Spirit. Now many people, a bit like if I went into the, uh, my woods at the bottom of my garden and I saw a little fire and I stamped on it, but by stamping on it I throw sparks everywhere and the dry, it's not so dry now, but on the, into the dry vegetation and I end up with lots of little fires everywhere. And that seems to be, can you see what's happened here? That's what's happened, Satan stamps on the Messiah, on Jesus Christ and ends up in the gift of the Holy Spirit being spread. So when it says that the, he who, verse 10, he who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Or I think underlying it, there's that incredible phrase, he fills all things with his fullness. St. Paul is breaking language here. He won't get an English GCSE because it really, it's, it's unbelievable. He is pushing language to the absolute limit. What does it mean? He fills all things with his fullness. Surely, it's his spirit, the essence of Christ, is now filling the universe. After Pentecost, he, spent, he sent all those gifts. Ironic, isn't it? That Satan thought he'd won 
And in fact, he'd done the opposite. He'd actually released power throughout the whole of the universe, not just in one place at one time, but all of the place. But actually, St. Paul goes on. He's not actually speaking just about the Holy Spirit here. If you look in verse 11, he says, So Christ himself gave the apostles. Now, I don't know if you've ever said to anyone, you're a godsend. It's a phrase that keeps coming to me, and I'm saying it, and some people look at me as if I'm a bit daft. Is it a phrase that people use, you're a godsend? Well, I was brought up with it. And, you know, when somebody does something more than you expect, when they do something before you even ask them, or especially in a church congregation, somebody leaves, goes somewhere else, and you think we'll never be the same again, but someone steps up to that job, or someone comes in from, you know, uh, actually comes to your church, you've never known them before, and amazingly, they just fill that role and more. They are a godsend. What does uh, Jesus do when he ascends into heaven? He sends godsends. God sends godsends. Are you with me on that? Look at these gifted people who are godsends. Apostles. Yes, he's talking about those first unique apostles, and let's not move away. The first apostles were the unique and authoritative apostles. There were those ones who were eyewitnesses of Jesus, and Paul had to fight to be seen as part of it because he met the risen Jesus on the Damascus Road. But it's not just the apostles, those very special ones. The word means sent out. It's those people who are missionaries. It's those people who are mission agents. Linda, my wife, decided to come at the last minute uh, this morning, and it, which is rather uh, cramped my style, because I was going to tell stories about her, so I've had to change uh, certain <laughs> bits. But I can't change this bit, because it was, it's there in my note. Uh, um, uh, Linda rather likes a program on Channel 5 called Marvel's Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I don't know if anyone else is as intellectual uh, as she is to, to watch this uh, uh, program but I hear it's about humans with superpowers doing amazing things well I'll tell you what we are Christ's agents of power here on earth with the special out of this world power of Christ himself we are mission agents but not just apostles prophets he sends yes there were the jeremiah's and the ezekiel's and they have a unique place but prophets means people who speak forth god's word who inspire people and again now that has to come from the inspiration of god's word which the prophets uh, went into and the apostles wrote but we can still inspire prophets Evangelists, well, you know what the evangelists are. Evangelists are the people who bring people to that point of crisis of saying, what are you doing with Jesus? You know, you've not got much time left. What are you doing? Come on. And that's a great gift. Uh, Linda and I, when, when I'm not doing this sort of thing, I, we go to Holy Trinity Idol, and Robin Gamble is the, uh, the vicar there. Some of you know him. And it always amuses me. Whenever Robin preaches a sermon, it's always evangelistic. He just can't help it. He has evangelism in his complete DNA, he is an evangelist. And when he comes into school to do an assembly, he almost has an altar call uh, every time. He doesn't mean to, but he just can't help himself, an evangelist. What about pastors? That word pastor means shepherd. It means protector. It means a protector. Are you someone who can protect other people and care for them? God sends them. What about teachers? Being able to understand and explain God's word. These people are all sent, these godsends are sent in, verse th- uh, to sent in verse 12 to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. 
So we're building up the body of Christ. All these people with, this, with Christ's spirit are being built up by these godsends. They're there to guide and direct and care for all these people as Christ is in heaven. Until we all reach, in verse 13, unity in the faith. You know, if going back to ants, if you have ants, if you see ants, they're all moving in the same sort of direction, isn't it? That's, that's an amazing sort of thing. They all march in the same direction. They all seem to, they're mobilized, they're active in service, as we're meant to be there in verse 12, but they're all moving in the same direction. There is a unity. They're not headless chickens. But that's a mixed metaphor, which I won't go any further. Ants being headless chickens. But you know what I mean. They're going in the right direction. And these godsends are the people that make sure that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. It's Paul again, pushing language to an absolute limit. So that we all become mature, grow up, attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. What does that mean? Well, for me, I'll give you another little uh, picture. I hope it helps. Again, I didn't know that Linda was going to be here this morning. But when I'm reading in bed at night, and she's fast asleep, and I'm reading in bed at night, we have these little spotlights from Ikea, and you can bend them in all directions. They're great fun. All right? And so you, you put it right onto the page that you're reading. But I have noticed, because I'm a bit childish this way, that when I'm reading, it sort of casts an image of me up against the far wall. I don't you know, you know what it is? And you suddenly look, there's this massive me up on the wall. Okay, and if you move it in different positions, you can make it look even different and put your hand in the way and do it. Yeah, she's asleep. But I'm doing all of these sort of things. It's sort of casting amazing shadows. Massive me. Now, why do I mention all that? Because I don't know, really. But it's actually Christ is in heaven. He's not projecting a shadow of himself. He's not projecting a shadow, if you like, the light of heaven from behind him. He is projecting himself. It is his spirit. It is his essence, but in a gigantic way. This is what he's trying to talk about here. Jesus was one person at one time and in one place. But now we have a gigantic body of Christ over the whole universe. And not just a shadow of the former self. Together, I have to say together, we are like Christ himself. When we put us together, amazing to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. And we're not weak in verse 14. We're no longer infants. We're no longer little kiddies that need to be looked after and guided. We now have the power of Christ. We're not tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by the wind of teaching. There's so much stuff around at the moment, isn't there? There's so much sort of opinions and ideas and thoughts that it's so easy to just be befuddled he talks about there we're not uh, blown here and there by the cunning and craftiness of people the word cunning there you'll have to take my word for it underneath is the word cube strangely enough in greek and actually cube as in dice in other words we're not tricked we're not going to be cheated by people we're strong we're the body of Christ, the fullness of Christ. And when it talks about deceitful scheming at the end of verse 14, against the word that we get the word planet from, and it's the idea a planet whizzes around in a dizzying sort of way, 
And you know, it's so easy as individual Christians to become dizzy by the world, dizzy by what's happening. The rapid change, the movement, the new ideas, the ways that things seem to be completely different than just two or three years ago. But as the body of Christ, we're powerful, we're strong, and instead we speak the truth in verse 15. The truth is so important. Has anyone been watching pitched battle on a Saturday night with those choirs? Is anyone? Nobody? Oh, one. Right. Well, there's been a program, and you can watch it on demand on a, on a Saturday night. It's choirs in the competitions. A lot of them are a cappella, you know, singing about music. And it finished yesterday, so I better not tell you who won. Um, but at the end, all the way through, they've had these experts. I can never remember the name of the guy who does all the choirs and things, and they've had one or two others. And they've had experts deciding on each uh, episode who was the best choir to go through to the final. Last night, they had all the experts. They went through to the last two. And then the presenter said those fateful words, we're going to leave it to the great British public to decide. She then has to explain, that if you're watching a recording or on demand, don't ring up. Do you know, I think the great British public, if we need to be told you're watching a recording, don't ring up to vote. I'm not sure about whether we should be allowed to judge what is the best choir in the country when we know nothing about, I can't even spell a cappello, never mind, know what it is. But that's what we did. So, of course, the great British public all apparently rang in. Though I was watching on recording, so obviously I didn't. But nowadays, everything is opinion. Have you noticed that? So whenever we ha anything happens in the world, any big story, you can tweet your opinion about it. You can say what you think about it. Part of me says, who cares what you think about it? It's what is the truth about it? What actually happened? Where has journalism, really good investigative journalism, gone? Why is the point that we all, so 76% of this country think that the government should not... Do, I know British values and democracy. But, you know, truth is a really difficult thing now. Have you found that? That if you say to people, I believe in the truth of, you know, of the Bible, I believe in the truth of Jesus, people turn off immediately. Because we cannot believe in truth. The present dogma is you cannot be dogmatic. All right? And it is really, really difficult. How do we as a church who know the truth of Christ, how do we project that? How do we bring that to our world? Well, St. Paul very helpfully tells us. Instead, speaking the truth in love. Do you love this verse? In love. Agape. The essence of Christ. Christ always did everything in love. And we need to do everything in love. Every single time. Some people call this the Mary Poppins verse. And I feel another song coming on. Do you know that song in Mary Poppins? A spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, the medicine go down. Some of you again are looking at me as if you know Mary Poppins. You do, don't you? And you know that song. I don't know any other songs. It is Mary Poppins, isn't it? I think it's good. I didn't check that. And this verse is here. We have the truth. We have the medicine. So what do we do? People don't want to take the medicine. It's unpalatable. It's bitter to them. They will not drink the medicine. So what do we do? Water it down? Well, it won't work then. But so often that's what we do do. What are we told to do here? We're to get a spoonful of sugar. 
What is the sugar? The sugar is the agape love of Jesus. People are not going to swallow the truths unless we get alongside them. Uh, many, many years ago, I was in Sheffield in just a back lane of Sheffield, way out in the southwest of Sheffield, out up in going towards the Peak District, when a car suddenly pulled up next to me, wound down the window and said, excuse me, can you tell me the way to Nottingham? Well, I know where Nottingham is, but how on earth do you get from what you're doing here? I wanted to say they're completely the wrong. If they say the way to the chippy, that would have been hard enough, or the local pub, or that would have been hard enough. Wait a so I just said, I've no idea. And then afterwards, I thought, well, maybe I should have got in the car and taken them to at least the main road going towards the M1, and then they would have had a chance going south on the M1 to Junction 25, and they could have got there. You know, nowadays, seriously. The people we meet will not believe in the truth of Jesus because they don't believe, they don't trust truths. So we have to get alongside them. We have to journey with them, speaking the truth in love. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head. That is Christ. Christ, we are the body. He is the head. And his essence is agape love as well as truth. And so that's how we are. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in agape, in love. As each part does its work. And here I finish. Each part does its work. What's your part in this amazing, gigantic body of Christ? I thought I'd just finish by just looking back again to verse 11. To those godsends. And maybe you're a godsend and you need encouraging. Maybe you need a godsend. Maybe you're going to be a godsend. Because the church needs these godsends in order to function in the way that Christ wants it to. Maybe you're an apostle. Maybe you're in a situation where there's no other Christians. Maybe you're in a situation where the whole world view around you is unchristian, non-Christian, post-Christian. I don't know what you would want to call it. And you feel really out on your own. Maybe that's because you're being sent out as an apostle to be Christ in that situation. You are a mission agent. Or maybe you have a real desire to inspire people with God's word, but just bring in the right word. You know, Jeremiah talked about, uh, he got so fed up of being in trouble when he spoke, he said, I'm going to shut up. I'm going to shut up and keep my mouth shut. And he said he kept his mouth shut, but he ended up with fire in his belly. It's just great. And so he had to open his mouth to let the heat out. It was just, because God's word was burning in him. Is that you? God's word burning in you. You're a prophet. Open your mouth. Sometimes it doesn't always go very well, but you keep on going. You're a prophet. What about an evangelist? It's the real thing that makes you tick, is grabbing people from the edge of hell. Is that what you really like? You really like the idea of people being one. You're a God's shock troop. You want to get in there and really bring people to a point in decision. It's a very specific gift, but very, very necessary. Maybe that's you. Or maybe you're a pastor. Maybe you are a pastoral person who wants to care for people and really show agape love. 
You know, when I talk about this, because this is something I'm involved in, as I said to Phil earlier on, this is what I'm involved in every day, working with children, especially children who are in need and disadvantage uh, and in all sorts of problems. I speak to those children and I see myself sometimes as just, well, I, I was dealing with the family this week and one or two of the teachers said to me, I just want to take them home. I just want to take those children home. And I know exactly what they mean. And it's almost that picture of the, the, the good shepherd going and looking for the lost sheep, putting the sheep over the shoulder and taking them home. You know, we need this so much for our children, but not just for children. We need pastors to care for Christians, but not people who are not Christians. We need pastors who are going to protect. Does that make you fill up when you think of lost souls, when you think of vulnerable people? <coughs> think of my person who asked me where on earth is the way to Nottingham. Okay? I could have said to them, I'll get in the car and come with you. Or I could have just thrown the map at them, if I had one, and said, it's in there. And often as a church, that's what we do. We throw the map at them. It's in the Bible. Or we just throw, the Bible says. Whenever, often when I'm dealing with children, and they need help, I think, actually, I don't know where to start. Because I have not started from here. Because there have been so many wrong decisions made in their life, for them and by them, that I don't know how to unpick all that. What do I do? Your journey, your pastor, you get alongside them. Or maybe you're a teacher. You know, when you look at God's word, you look at it and you think, it's actually quite easy, this. I understand this. I don't even need to come and listen to the sermon sometimes. I understand it. I don't need notes. I actually, this just is. And when you talk to other people about it and you give a bit of life examples and a bit about yourself, actually, there's a eureka moment. They understand it. Isn't that fantastic? And can I say, here at Sunbridge, you are in a very privileged position where the Bible is opened day in, day out, every Sunday and more. And you understand the Bible better than most people within Bradford. It's a great privilege you had with a fantastic ministry, and all of you, but in particular from the front, from your pastor's going pack. You have a great gift. And there are many Christians in our city who do not know their Bible. They do not know what's in it. They don't know the big stories, David and Goliath and things like that. They don't know how it fits together. They don't know what it's about. And you have a great gift. Maybe you're called to be teachers. Let's just bow our heads for prayer. From him the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Lord, may we do our part in this great mission. Amen. Father God, thank you for your word and for the way that, Lord, that's brought before us all that Christ has done for us. And he's given his life to redeem a people to himself. And we are the body of Christ. We're the family of God. Thank you, Lord, that you've given us gifts. You've given each one gifts to use. Lord, we pray that you'd help us not only to discover our gift, but, Lord, to develop our gifts. 
and to use them for your glory. Lord, as our roles change in life, we know that those gifts can change and uh, we pray that you give us the discernment we need to know what you've called us to do because you've called us and chosen us for works that will last for glory, to, to, to your glory and ever, forever and ever for your glory. So Lord, help us in this, we pray. Strengthen us. Thank you again, Lord. Thank you for the truth. Help us to be strong in the truth. Help us, Lord, not to be ashamed, not to be afraid of speaking the truth in love. Give us opportunities, we pray, this week to be able to impart truth to people that we talk to. Give us, Lord, we pray, the, the willingness to open our mouths when we should be doing that for your name's sake. So, Lord, thank you for this time. And now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, and may he equip you with everything good for doing his will, and may he work in you what is pleasing to him, through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Thank you. God bless you. And, uh, you can stay for tea and coffee. Lovely to have you. Have fellowship with you. Thank you.